0: You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky, a congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Tradition. We are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice. But from time to time, you'll find guest preachers on this podcast, too. Thanks for listening. For those of us who grew up in church in a certain age... We cannot hear this particular gospel story without feeling an urge to sing. Did you feel it? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. It's going to be in your head all day today. I promise you that. We know this story and we think we know Zacchaeus. He's short, he's rich. He's nimble enough to climb up a tree, and he's a tax collector. In fact, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, before we go any further, a little background on tax collectors in the ancient world. This is not a government career Zacchaeus is no IRS agent with a pension and health care and all of those sorts of benefits with a cubicle and a giant box of an office, reviewing paperwork on behalf of the Roman Empire to collect a set percentage of taxes from people. In the ancient Roman world, in the days of the Republic before this time, tax collectors were private agents. And we can see that in the Greek word that was used for tax collectors that literally means tax farmer. They would bid on Roman public contracts to be able to collect taxes. And whoever won the bid would then collect the taxes and pay them to Rome. They would pay these taxes to Rome in advance. So then the tax collector would recoup the money and make a living off of those commissions that they charged on taxes. Now to make this work financially, private agents would form associations, large organizations with a chief tax bidder, a few associates, and some financial backers who wanted something for their investment. Once they secured a contract from Rome with a specific taxation amount for a particular region of the empire, then they would work with local officials and agents to collect in their districts. Now, by Jesus' day, this had changed a little bit. Taxation had long been in place for goods sold and imported, and that's what tax collectors continued to do. But other taxes... You know, because there are other taxes, always have been, right? Such as taxes on land and on the number of people in a particular household. Those taxes weren't collected anymore by tax collectors, but those were collected by the provincial governors of Rome. So if you were a tax collector focused on customs, on taxes on goods, then a border town like Jericho would be a key location. The profits from these tax farmers were what they could bring in over and above what those contracts required of them. And you can see how much the incentives were for overcharging and exploitation. They were built into the system. But let's be honest, no one likes paying taxes, right? But when you know that everyone involved is getting a cut of the taxes that you are paying, it's not hard to imagine why tax collectors were unpopular. Tax farmers would have been viewed with suspicion because they were collaborating with Rome and they were profiteering from their work. Nobody liked a tax collector, and for good reason. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector and that he was rich, which means he's good at this dirty work he's been doing. He's a successful businessman who's overseeing a large operation. He's won contract bids from Rome, and he has enough connections with local officials to make a sizable sum for himself. And the better off he is, the more corrupt we can imagine him to be. That's just the way it works. Luke has given us the perfect villain in this story. But before we get too much involved with Zacchaeus, let's remind ourselves what's been happening in Luke's gospel up to this point. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on this route between Samaria and Galilee. And when we say Jesus is on his way, let's be clear. Jesus has been blunt about it. What awaits him in Jerusalem is betrayal and death. But along the way, Jesus tells stories, as he often did. And in the chapter just before this one, in chapter 18, interestingly enough, Jesus tells a a parable. A parable in which a tax collector comes out on top. Nobody that heard that parable would have seen that coming. Two men go up to the temple to pray, a pious religious fellow, a Pharisee, and a corrupt, despised tax collector. And in a twist, Jesus says it's the tax collector who goes home justified, not the religious man. And the crowds listening must have roared with laughter because there is no such thing as a repentant tax collector. It's as if Luke keeps dropping little crumbs for us, his readers, so that when we get down the road with Jesus, we might be able to turn back and see all of these connecting threads narratively weaving their way through parables and healings, through stories and sayings and more crumbs us. Along the way, still in chapter 18, parents were bringing their babies to Jesus, hoping that he might place a hand on their child and offer a word of blessing, of protection. The disciples see this as foolishness and not worth Jesus' time, and so they shoo the parents away because Jesus is way too busy to be kissing babies. But Jesus orders his disciples to stop and says, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. These children are the kingdom's pride and joy. And mark this, Jesus says, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Still in chapter 18, we're getting a little closer now, a ruler strikes up a conversation with Jesus and that conversation does not go well. Jesus tells him it's good that this ruler has been following the commandments, but he still lacks one thing, Jesus says. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then you come back and you follow me. It's too much for the man who Luke finally tells us is very rich. There's a shadow of sadness that follows over the rich ruler, and the crowd begins to murmur. Who then can be saved? And Jesus replies, what is impossible for mortals is possible with God. Then, as they're walking on the road leading up to to Jericho, we're getting closer, I promise you, the noise of the crowd surrounding Jesus captures the attention of a blind beggar collecting coins from passersby. When... The man asks, what is the commotion? The crowd tells him it's Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And he begins to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And suddenly the crowd parts and opens up a way, ushering the beggar closer to Jesus who heals the man and brings his sight back. Now this latest miracle, it really gets the crowd going They've seen a man whose sight is restored and everyone starts to praise God and they're all following along with Jesus. There's a blind beggar man, a collector of coins whose name we do not know, whose faith has saved him. Which finally brings Jesus into Jericho as he's passing through. Zacchaeus, for some reason not revealed to us, is also like that blind man trying to see who Jesus is. But in the case of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, a rich man, a most successful collector of coins, no one is helping him get close to Jesus. Luke says that this is on account of the crowd. Now, is this because the crowd is is large and Zacchaeus is just tiny? perhaps? Does Zacchaeus try to push to the front or ask somebody if he can get up closer? Does his reputation keep him back? The unfriendly stares up from the crowd push him away, or does the crowd just link arms so he can't get near Jesus? Regardless of the reason, the crowd who had just been agents for healing of the blind man are now a barrier to salvation for Zacchaeus, blocking his way, keeping him far away. Zacchaeus, however, is determined. So he runs on ahead, he leaves all propriety behind him, he pulls up his robes to keep from tripping, and he scampers up a tree along the route Jesus will take on his way out of Jericho. Surely people in the crowd saw him run off, or even as he pulls his way up into the tree, perhaps they were laughing at him. Wouldn't that be fun to laugh at a tax collector? Shaking their heads, amused that the grubby little thief was making a fool of himself in front of everyone. His undignified plan works. Alongside the sycamore tree, Jesus stops in his tracks and he looks up at the tree. And I imagine that Jesus is smiling at the ridiculous sight of a grown man up in a tree. And the crowd stops too, and their eyes set upon the chief tax collector, perched on a branch like some little child, seeking a glimpse of Jesus. And that's when you imagine the murmurs start, right? Now Jesus can put this pompous little cheat into his place. Tell him to stop the extortion, all the slimy side deals. Maybe Jesus will tell him to go sell all his belongings and give them to the poor, just like he did that rich ruler outside of town. And then Jesus calls him out by name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Jesus, you don't know this man. He's been skimming off the top. He's the worst of the worst, this one. He's a thief and a collaborator with the enemy. You don't want to be seen with this man, let alone stay at his house overnight. Even the disciples must have been taken aback. This was not in the plan. They were passing through Jericho, remember? They were not staying in it. What is Jesus up to? What he's been doing since the beginning, upending expectations and bringing the realm of God into our everyday world. Luke's left us another little crumb in the story. He's given this unseemly chief tax collector a name, Zacchaeus. The name means clean one or righteous one which is an unfortunate name for a tax collector whose hands, by definition, are dirty. They are soiled by the unsavory nature of his profession. But Luke wants us to see this little man clinging to a branch of a sycamore tree in light of what has gone on before to bring Jesus to that tree. Zacchaeus is seeking out Jesus with urgency, without regard to what other people are thinking about him. He's not concerned with protocols or expectations. He's just seeking Jesus out the best way he can. He's like that tax collector in Jesus' story, standing afar off in the temple, afraid to lift his eyes to heaven, shaking with sadness and remorse, saying, God, give mercy to me, a sinner. Zacchaeus is small, like those little children which Jesus welcomed and of which he said, don't get between them and me. For unless you accept God's kingdom and the simplicity of a child, you're never getting in. But in case we don't make the connections, Luke gives us more. The crowd realizes that Jesus is inviting himself to stay with Zacchaeus, and their murmurs become outright jeers. Jesus, you better watch what company you keep. This man's no good. Keep clear of him. And Zacchaeus hears him, of course. How could he not? He hears the accusations of fraud, the indictment of his character. He knows he's not a perfect man by any standard. But that same longing that sent him running down the street and climbing up a tree to straddle a branch is still pushing him ever nearer to Jesus. And so the little man stands there sets his shoulders, looks Jesus in the eye, and says, Master, I am giving away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I'm paying four times the damages. Another crumb for us, did you notice? We remember that sad rich ruler, his shoulders slumped, his hands wrapped tightly around his money pouch. The words of Jesus still ringing in his ears, sell everything you own and give it away to the poor and then you will have riches in heaven and come and follow me. Zacchaeus gets it. Zacchaeus gets it. The ruler, the upstanding citizen, one of the elites of the town who professes his adherence to the teachings of his faith, he remains trapped by his belongings. The trappings of his faith and his security, unable to enter into the realm of God. But Zacchaeus. We, little Zacchaeus, in his seeking out of Jesus, is learning to let go of the things that might hold him back from experiencing the fullness of God's presence. Now, Luke has been leading up to this moment in his story for a long time. Back last December... On the third Sunday of Advent, we heard the gospel reading from the third chapter of Luke. John the Baptist, because I'm sure you don't remember, I'll tell you. John the Baptist was at the River Jordan, and he was preaching. And the crowds were all gathered there, not just to listen, but to be baptized. And the more they heard John the Baptist preach, the more they wondered what they needed to do. And John the Baptist warned them not to rely on their history, not to rely on their reputation, but to bear fruits worthy of repentance. And then Luke tells us that along the riverbanks were soldiers and tax collectors. Tax collectors earnestly coming, seeking to be baptized, and they ask John, what are we supposed to do? And John says, collect no more than is appointed to you. No more extortion. And here we are, near the end of the story, on our way into Jerusalem. Ten months after we've heard the words of John the Baptist, we see the fruits of his preaching. Jericho a day's journey from Jerusalem with the weight of what is about to come on his shoulders Jesus stops and sees a man that's seeking a redemption he sees him in a tree he calls him by name and he proclaims that salvation has come to his house now the good news of the story is Depends on where we find ourselves in it. Are we perched in that tree alongside Zacchaeus? Has what we've been doing in our lives left us longing for more, hoping for a glimpse of God's graciousness? If that's where you are in that sycamore tree, then trust in this. God knows you, God sees you, and God calls you by name and wants to be with you. But we might find ourselves shoulder to shoulder with the crowds. Do we see ourselves as gatekeepers, shunning the riffraff over there, judging the worthiness of all who seek to get in close To Jesus who seek after God. If we're in the crowd, you better be warned. Jesus will always disappoint us. Because Jesus is a trespasser of boundaries. He is an embracer of outcasts. He is a seeker of the lost. Jesus says we're to love God and love neighbor and watch him do it because he will love even that neighbor, the one we're sure doesn't deserve it. The moment of salvation hangs in the balance here in Jericho. May we have eyes to see. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.